All righty. How many of you love the Word of God today? Well, I want you to turn with me. Well, you don't really have to, but I'm going to be sharing out of 2 Kings 6. We've got right up here on the screen for you. And uh, let's stand to read this. This is a powerful story. It's one of my favorite. I love the dynamic duo of Elijah and Elisha. And we've been talking about keys to keeping your cutting edge. And I want to talk to you today about keeping your cutting edge by seeing through the eyes of prayer. Seeing through the eyes of prayer. Let's jump into the middle of a powerful story. It says, when the servant of the man of God, the man of God being Elisha, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. It was not a good sight. Look what he said to Elijah, or Elisha. Oh, sir, what will we do now? I like King James better. Alas. And this is what the young man cried to Elisha. Alas, what will we do now? And look what the man of God said to him. Don't be afraid. Everybody say that with me. Don't be afraid. Do you believe that? Now, they're surrounded by an army, and he's telling him to, to not be afraid. For there are more on our side than on theirs. What a powerful statement. There wasn't anything to be seen. But this is what he said. Now, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Powerful. Father, I pray that today you will help us to keep the cutting edge on our spiritual life by seeing circumstances through the eyes of prayer. Lord, open our eyes today so that we can see who's on our side and that there's more on our side than on the side of the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the victory through Jesus Christ. Can you say with me, I have the victory through Jesus Christ. There's more on my side than on the side of my enemy. Now give the Lord a hand of praise and you can be seated. Amen. This is one of my favorite stories. And um, here's, here's the background, the backdrop to this. Elisha spent a lot of time with God. Now Israel was in, at, in battle against Syria. And the Bible says that the king of Syria was, was continuously setting up places where they would attack Israel. And every time they started to attack Israel by choosing a spot to sort of jump them unbeknownst to the Israelites, Elisha would go tell the king of Israel what they were about to do. He was like an inside spy that never had to spy because God ratted out on the Syrians every time. And so finally the king of Syria got frustrated and said, who in the world is a spy among us? And they said, not, not us, there's no spy here. And finally they said, O king, it's Elisha. He, it's the prophet of Israel. And before you do a thing, he goes and tells the king of Israel what you're going to do before you do it. And they're waiting for you. Isn't that cool? Uh, what a valuable spy. See, people that walk with God always have an inside track. And so the Bible says that... Uh, the king of Syria got angry. Pull me down just a little bit, TJ, can you? The king of Syria got angry, and he said, all right, where is he? And they said, we think he's in Dothan. And so he sent, the Bible says, 
a bunch of chariots and a great army, not just an army, but a great army. And they surrounded Dothan. Now this brings us up to the verses that we just read. When the servant got up in the morning, the servant of Elisha, and looked out there, he saw chariots all around them, Syrian chariots, enemy chariots, and he saw uh, a great army. And that's when he said, alas, what are we going to do? And of course, Elisha told him, I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but there's more on our side than on theirs. Now, let me just tell you that Elisha and the servant represent two kinds of people and two kinds of responses to trials. Two kinds of people. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You can be a Christian and still be like the servant instead of being like Elisha. In our day, we need to learn to be like Elisha and not the servant. And I want to just share this word with you today uh, to build your faith and let you know that there's two kinds of responses to a trial, two kinds of responses to danger, two kinds of responses to overwhelming odds against you. The servant represents a carnal response. The carnal response was his reaction to trouble is summed up in that one word, alas. We would say today, oh my God. He said, what shall we do? He was overwhelmed with panic, overwhelmed with alarm, overwhelmed with fear. He was filled with uncertainty, confusion, and defeat before he was even defeated. And that's the way a lot of people are today, Christians. Our response is a carnal response to trouble. We look at trouble through natural eyes, and that's the eyes that he saw his circumstances with. We look at trouble through natural eyes, and we say, Oh, my Lord, oh, my God, alas, what are we going to do? Now, on the other hand, look at Elisha and just think for a minute about his response. It was a faith response. It was a total polar opposite response to the servant. He said, don't be afraid. The servant was paralyzed with fear. He was panicking. It was 911. But to Elisha, it was don't be afraid, or as the Message Bible puts it, don't worry about it. He said, don't worry about it. Yeah, we're surrounded by a great army. They're here to get us. They're totally focused on us. It's we too against a great army and many chariots and skilled warriors. But don't worry about it. Now, you know, only somebody walking with God can say against such insurmountable odds, don't worry about it. But can I tell you today, you may be facing insurmountable odds. Can I tell you, don't worry about it? Can I just minister that to you? Don't worry about it. Now, some of you, I can tell by your face, you're not convinced of that statement. You say, well, if I don't worry about it, who will? God. God will worry about it for you. He said, don't worry about it. This was insurmountable odds. This was impossible. This was an impossibility. They were red meat for the enemy. There's no way they were going to beat them. They didn't have sword. They didn't have spear. They didn't have horse. They didn't have chariot. And yet this man of God says, don't worry about it. His response was one of confidence and serenity and peace and victory. And he went on to tell the terrified servant, I want to say this again. Guess what? Gehazi is who the servant was, by the way. Guess what, Gehazi? He said, there's more on our side than is on their side. You can't see them, but they're there. There's more on our side 
than on their side. I assure you we are not in this battle alone. I assure you that God is with us. And if God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Because God is greater, He's stronger. The Bible says that for every devil that attacks you, there are two angels that never fell. You have the winning edge. You have the victory. That's why it says we're not just conquerors, but we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So I want to tell you today, if you're looking at insurmountable odds, you can't see it, but there's more on your side than on the enemy's side. Now, now, let me ask you a million-dollar question. What made the difference in these two men? They're both flesh and blood. They're both, both normal men. What made the difference in these two men? Why was one of them panicking and the other one was at total peace? What made the difference in these two men? I want to know because I want to be like Elisha. I do not want to be like Gehazi. I don't want to walk around wringing my hands, white-knuckled, always worrying, always uptight, always filled with angst. I want to walk in serenity, though circumstances around me are falling apart. That's why David said, The Lord is a very available help in the time of trouble, though the mountains fall into the sea. I will not be afraid. I will not be moved. Here's the difference in the two men. The answer is simple. Elisha was seeing circumstances through the eyes of prayer, while the servant was seeing circumstances through natural eyes. Natural eyes are what, you, what God gave you. Those eyes in your sockets, the iris, the cornea, the pupil, those are natural eyes. And they're attached to a natural soul. You see things through your eyes, either through faith or unbelief. Elisha was seeing this battle through the eyes of prayer and not through natural eyes. Elisha knew exactly what was causing the servant to live in fear. He deduced the problem immediately and he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Now what an odd statement. You know why? Because his eyes were opened. He wasn't a blind man. He was seeing, right? This was not a blind man that needed his sight to be healed, then why in the world would he say open his eyes? The light was being registered by his pupils. He was seeing a scene. Why would God need to open his eyes? He was not physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. He was not physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness is the worst blindness of all. He could see what was directly in front of him. He could see what his natural eyes told him. But his spiritual vision was clouded. He was utterly unable to see the vast spiritual forces that had been sent by God on their behalf. Now this is what I like about the Bible. This is where the Bible takes us beyond the veil. It lifts the curtains. It allows us to peer into the spiritual world and see what is actually there because what you're seeing right now, me and this stage and this building, the person next to you, the chairs, this is one facet of reality. But it's not the only facet of reality. The material world that you can feel, that you can taste, that you can touch, that you can smell, is only one dimension of what God has created. There is a spiritual world, a fourth dimension 
active right now. In that world are angels, cherubims, seraphims, demon spirits, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the devil. They move in the realm of the Spirit. And when he said, open his eyes, this young servant, this Gehazi, who did not have the experience spiritually of the man of God, suddenly his eyes were empowered to see beyond the veil. Oh, what a powerful thing it would be if we could do that right now. We would see angels around this building, I know. We would see the Holy Spirit moving. We would see strongholds in the lives of people that God is trying to bring down. We would see chains of bondage. We would see the light of God. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? I see it all in the Bible. When his eyes were open, he saw what was there spiritually. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did you know that Jesus taught us that our natural eyes can lie to us? Do you know that? When writing to the Laodicean church in the book of Revelations, which I can't wait to get into this Wednesday night, Jesus told them, listen to this, you say that you are rich and have need of nothing. How did they come to that conclusion? By what they saw with their natural eyes. They're looking through their natural eyes. They said, we are rich and have need of nothing. But Jesus said, your natural eyes are lying to you. He said, you, you are miserable, actually wretched, poor, blind, and naked. That's what you see spiritually. And his solution was, I advise you to buy from me ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Oh, that we could see through the eyes of God, that we could see through the eyes of prayer, that we could see through the eyes of the Spirit. It would change our life. That's why you need to stay in the Bible. The Bible opens you up to the, to the other reality, the spiritual reality, your soul, the value of souls. You begin to see people through the eyes of God instead of through natural eyes. Our natural sight, apart from faith, presents illusions, mirages, and muddled reality. Paul said that with our natural eyes, we see through a glass darkly on your best day. There are two kinds of vision, natural and spiritual. He who would keep the cutting edge on his or her spiritual life must learn to develop spiritual vision. And how do you develop spiritual vision? By prayer. By prayer. We've got to learn to see circumstances through the eyes of prayer. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, let me give you a principle here. Are you ready? Prayer changes how, how we see what we see. Prayer changes how we see what we see. I want you to notice something. This petrified, terrified servant only saw doom and gloom. That's all he saw. We're done for. We're cooked. We're outnumbered. It's over with. That's the way he felt until prayer was offered. And when prayer was offered, prayer opened his eyes to the spiritual realities that were around him, and he no longer felt like it was over. He said, we've got the victory. We're outnumbered, but we've got the victory. They are greater than us, but we've got the victory. It looks bad, but only through natural eyes. When you see things through the eyes of prayer, it changes your vision. Oh, folks, I'm telling you, you can have a mountain in your life. You can have a deep valley in your life. 
But oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. When you pray about it, the mountain comes down, the valley comes up. It doesn't look so bad. What looks gloomy and dark suddenly has the rays of the sunshine of God shining on it. You go from I can't to I can when you pray about it. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about what's vexing you? Have you prayed about what's shooting you down? Have you prayed about what is making you gloomy? Have you brought it to God in prayer? Let me give you another example. King David one day found himself, and I love this psalm, Psalm 73. He found himself overwhelmed, completely vexed with the seeming prosperity of wicked people. He said, why, why are the wicked seemingly blessed? Why do they look untroubled? Why are they even happy? Why are they not suffering consequences for what they do? Have you ever gone through this? I think I go through it about once a day. Why are the wicked prospering? I watch them lie. I watch them steal. I watch them live against God. I watch them blaspheme His name. And yet they laugh. They have money. It seems like everything goes well with them. And me, I'm, I am chastened by God every day. What is the deal? Ever experienced that? David said, when I tried to understand this, why the wicked prosper, what a difficult task it was. In his natural mind, through his natural eyes, he could not get relief. But it all changed when he prayed. Listen to what he says. Until I went into your sanctuary, O God, which is a picture of prayer. Until I went into your sanctuary and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. David said, I saw the fourth dimension. I saw what's really there. The wicked don't get away with it. One day it catches them. There is payday someday. Nobody escapes the consequences of God. The devil was trying to make me envy them so that I would go into wickedness myself. And I'm not going to do it. It's a trap to envy the wicked. Because their day is going to come. And when it comes, nobody wants to see it. It's going to be bad. One minute David is vexed, the next minute he is delivered. What made the difference? He saw life through the eyes of prayer. Somebody said, true vision is the art of seeing things that are unseen. I believe that. Prayer opens our eyes to the unseen. Opens our eyes to our victory. So first, we've got to learn to see things through the eyes of prayer. But then I see something else in this story. While prayer opens our eyes, are you ready? I love this part. It also blinds the enemy's eyes. Prayer opens our eyes, but it blinds the enemy's eyes. You say, where do you get that? The Bible records that Elisha prayed again. After he prayed that the servant's eyes would be open, he was into eyes this day. He was into just praying over people's vision this day. So he prayed that Gehazi would have his eyes open, but then he turned to this vast army with all of their chariots and expert warriors. And he says, strike this people, Lord, the Syrian army, with blindness. And God struck them with blindness according to the prayer of Elisha. Now that's how you win a battle. You win a battle when your enemy can't see anymore. And I want you to catch a principle here. The enemy that had them nailed was completely incapacitated, 
by the prayer of one godly man. Do you know what happens when you pray? Oh, the devil hates for you to pray. The devil will do anything to keep you out of prayer. Have you ever noticed when you go to pray, the phone rings, the kids come running through the living room, some bad news comes your way. You get dist- Have you ever noticed how many distractions come at you when you decide to pray? You know why? Because when you pray, it incapacitates your enemy. It was so bad for the enemy after Elisha prayed that they took them by the hand and led them into Samaria, which was their enemy's camp. The whole army led along blind into their enemy's camp. Two men defeated an army by prayer. Let me tell you what prayer does. It confuses the enemy. It frustrates his goals. It scrambles his plans. It cancels his intentions. The enemy that had literally surrounded Elisha and his servant was totally blinded. When he said, Lord, blind them, confuse them, perplex them, stop them, hinder them. And God heard that prayer. You know what prayer is like? You know what it's like when you pray? Prayer is like releasing God's spirit who is like a police officer who arrests and handcuffs a robber before he even gets to the bank he intends to rob. When you pray over a person, you cancel satanic assignments. What the enemy had planned for them becomes frustrated. He becomes confused. The assignment, the intention, the plan that he had for that person is X'd out and God's plan is released when you pray. I was reading recently about World War II. In World War II, American B-24 airplanes flew over enemy territory carrying a high-powered radio jammer called Jackal. For the first time, they tried this. Jackal transmitted radio signals on AM frequencies, successfully jamming German radio communications while at the same time not interfering with the overlapping FM signals from American transmitters. The jammed signals frustrated Hitler's war machine and hindered their ability to respond. The jamming of radio signals impacted the outcome of the 1944 Battle of the Bulge. They were able to jam and confuse and perplex and frustrate and hinder Hitler's radio signals. You know where I'm going with this. When you pray, the devil is jammed. The devil becomes jammed. Get this now. Prayer jams Satan's communication system. It frustrates his intentions. It cancels his assignments. It frustrates him, confuses him, perplexes him, chains him, binds him, holds him, buries him, stops him. When you pray, prayer is the most powerful force on earth. And we need to pray. And you know what I like? When we pray, lately on Wednesday nights, we've been praying for lost souls. And when we name a name, when you name a name, you immediately begin to put interference between the enemy and what he intends for that person. Keep on praying. Keep on praying and do not faint. 
God is hearing your prayers and God is going to answer your prayers. One day you're going to completely frustrate his intentions and God is going to break through on that situation and God's going to get the glory and you're going to see that a mountain was really no more than a molehill in the eyes of God. Now a third important truth found in this story of Elisha in the Syrians is we see that And I think this is maybe the best part. The servant needed his own revelation. He needed his own experience. It was not enough for him to hear Elisha saying, Hey, let me tell you something, dude. More are on our side than are on their side. It wasn't enough. He said, Well, you know, I'm glad you feel that way, but I don't see it. He needed to have his own experience with seeing into the spirit world. He needed to see it for himself. It says the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw. Everybody say with me, he saw. See, those are the most powerful two words in this passage. He saw for himself that the hillside around Elisha and was filled with horses and chariots of fire. What Elisha had seen, he saw for himself. Now let me talk directly to you as church people. There are people who come to church all the time who have heard other people talk about the power of God, who have heard other people talk about the life-changing power of the gospel, who have heard other people speak with zeal about their white-hot experiences with the living God. They've heard it from others. But there are people who have been in church all their life and never had their own experience with God. And you know what? They say, they say, you know, I'm glad you're telling me that more are on my side than on my enemy's side. But there comes a time when you've got to see for yourself. You've got to have your own experience with God. Man, I came to preach something today. I hope you catch this because we need every church member, everybody darkening these doors. You can hear somebody's testimony just so long. But a testimony is designed by God to draw you into your own experience with Him. It is not designed to give you goosebumps and boost your faith and, and, and where you're kind of on the outside looking in, kind of getting your mileage out of somebody else's experience. There comes a time when you've got to have your own encounter with God. There are several people on my prayer list that I'm praying for, and I'm saying, Lord, they've heard it all their life, but I want to see them get zapped by the Holy Spirit themselves. I want to see them get touched by God themselves. I want to see them look up with tears streaming down their face because they're having their own encounter with the living God. There comes a time when you can't get there off somebody else's testimony. There comes a time when you've got to call out yourself and say, Lord, thank you for the testimony of the pastor. Thank you for the testimony of the people. But that testimony is designed to make me hunger and make me thirst for righteousness in my own life. And so, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see God. Let me have an experience with God. See, here's the danger of church. You can think because you're in a church that you're really having church. This is the danger of church. It's the mentality that if I'm in a church, 
I'm right with God. No, you can be in a church and not be right with God. You can be in a church and still be lost. You can be in a church and have heard testimonies all of your life but never had your own encounter. I'm finding this out. I'm talking to people. And I'm saying to people, I'm saying, what don't you like about, why did you leave church? Well, because I was forced to go there. I was dragged to church all my life. And I got sick and tired of being in church. I wanted to get out. Now I'm so glad I got out. Now I'm an agnostic. Now I'm an atheist. And I say, look at that. They were in church all their life and never had their own eyes open. Folks, we've got to have our own experience with God. It is available to anybody and to everybody. Teenagers are especially in danger of this. You're raised in church. You hear the word. You listen to Christians. You see hypocrisy in their lives and you assume that it's not real. And you walk away and you become jaded and cynical and anti-church and anti-God because they weren't perfect. No, we're not perfect, but we are sincere. And they, they come out of church twice the cynic as somebody who was never in church. And the tragedy is they were there right near the pool of water where the stream was rushing by and they never drank. I'm telling you, this young man had a great day when a man of God prayed for him and said, Lord, he can't go on my testimony anymore. He's going to have to find his own. That's the danger of parents that are Christian raising children. You've got to get to the place where it's not your teaching and not your testimony. They've got to have their own encounter. Where the Holy Spirit falls on them and they realize the beauty of the Lord, the power of the gospel, the glory of the Spirit-filled life. Elisha's servant needed to see it for himself. Listen to what somebody wrote. I think this is great. You'll always be more convinced by what you've discovered than by what somebody else has found. I could tell you about Bluebell chocolate chip ice cream all day. I could tell you about it all day long. Oh, that Bluebell chocolate chip ice cream, you can't take just one dip. Once you taste it, you've got to finish it. And once you finish it, you can't quit thinking about it. There's nothing like Bluebell chocolate chip ice cream. And if you put it into a milkshake and blend it up, I'm telling you, you won't care about the weight. You won't care about the calories. There's something in it. You can't leave it alone. There's something about it. And I can talk about it all day. And you know what? For your whole life, you could be sitting there going, yep, yep, I believe it. I believe that bluebell has got to be incredible. But when you go get your own cone, <laughs> I, I, I think bluebell is going to be attacked after church today. When you go get your own cone and you have your own dip and you try it for yourself, you become a testifier. You're not going by somebody else's testimony. You're going by your own. That's why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. 
you got to taste it for yourself. And when you taste of the powers to come and the power of God's sweet Holy Spirit, and you're not on the outside looking in, but you're drinking of those living waters, and you have experienced the forgiveness of God and the power of Jesus Christ working in your life to set you free, then you've got it. Prayer changes how we see what we see. It blinds and it frustrates our enemy. And it ushers us into our own experiences with God. And by prayer, you're going to keep the cutting edge on your spiritual walk. What do you need to see through the eyes of God today? What do you need to see through the eyes of prayer? What circumstances are you in that are beating you over the head and taking your sleep away from you? and burdening you you down and making you chew your nails and vexing you and the devil's just using it to come at you over and over again. Have you taken it to God in prayer? I guarantee you, if you stay before God in prayer long enough, it'll change how you see what you see. Can we stand together? You know, Turning Point Church, our nation needs a move of God in the worst way. Do you know that the only way it's going to happen is when person by person, family by family, have their own eyes open, have their own experiences with the Lord? I pray for that. I pray that it happens. Otherwise, You've just got a half-baked Christianity that they haven't really experienced. And so you throw it away. It doesn't mean anything to you. With every head bowed for a moment of prayer, I want to ask you, Pastor Jeff, uh, you may say to me, yeah, I need to see it through the eyes of prayer. But I'll tell you, Pastor Jeff, I really need God to help me in this one. I need to see something through the eyes of prayer because it's beating me up. Can I see your hand today? Many, many people. You know, I want to do something. I want you to let me do something. I want to pray for you.